Bible, let's go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 this morning. Thank you, deacons, for serving God's people. Table's kind of loud, isn't it? It's okay. It's sad that there's a lot of Southern Baptist churches that don't know that noise because they're not observing the Lord's Supper. Well, maybe once a quarter. Are you kidding me? Once a quarter? I know some, some once or twice a year, that is it. I don't think that pleases the Lord. And I don't think the excuse that I heard growing up as a boy pleases the Lord either. No, we can't observe the Lord's Supper too much because why? It will become a... And I just looked up at the deacons and the pastors and said, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds right. No, it's not. No, it's not. Apply that to other things that we do in a worship service. We sing every Sunday. Is that a ritual to you? You hear preaching every... Is that a, is that a ritual to you? Me, Right? Let's not kiss too much, honey. It might become a ritual. Oh, no. No. Amen. It's good. It's good of this church family. I'm so honored to be part of this church family. It's all about the heart, beloved. Amen. It's all about the heart, how you approach, how you worship. I'm so grateful. We're grateful to be part of this church family that observes every Sunday. Well, how's your life going, beloved? How's your life? Are you happy? Are you happy? Maybe not. What was that, the last song? On mountaintops and what was it? Valleys below? Maybe it's not mountaintop for you. You're not happy today. Do you know someone that is not happy that is in Jesus Christ? What if you have a miserable spouse that you're living with? Uh-oh. Miserable child. Is there something practical that you can do that leads to happiness? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I tell you what, Psalm 1, ooh, it's going to be convicting today, beloved. This has been so convicting to me. Mm. It's good to be convicted. Amen? Amen. It feels good. Psalm 1, are you living the blessed life? Well, to answer that question, because some of you might be real quick to say, yeah, I'm living the dream, baby. I got the wife, I got the kids, the two-story house, and the jacuzzi. Oh, it's good. Well, today I have five questions to help you answer that question before the Lord. Are you living the blessed life? Five questions. Now, here's a brief overview of the Psalms uh, very quickly. It's actually divided up into five uh, books. Did I take out the video? Is there a video on the next slide? Or is it just the point? Oh, it, I didn't take that out. Okay, good. Can we like maybe dim the lights? Let's, let's show this to the folks. So here's what I did was uh, I did a, instead of a screenshot of the Logos software that I use, I did a, a, a screen. You can like, you know, record what you do. And so what this is gonna show is the software uh, will show how the Psalms are grouped by the person who wrote it, uh, grouped by genre or kind, uh, by uh, 
the literary structure, those kind of things. So let's go ahead and just press play and we'll show this to the folks. There's no, there's no audio. I didn't do any, you know, or anything uh, with it, okay? Yeah. All right, what does that say up there? That's uh, by book. So you press the button, do it. There's five books. At the end of each book, there's a uh, doxology. And I wish I could show you each of those, but we don't have time. And now it's, now it's by author. You see the little mouse uh, pointer thingy there, by author, different authors, not just David. Then we'll go by structure. There's three kinds of psalms as its structure, an acrostic, chiasm, we've talked about a chiasm, or a strophe. What's a strophe? It's like in poetry, it's a unit of verses together, okay? And then we have it by kind or by genre. And by the way, what's the largest kind of psalms in the book of Psalms? It's not praises. It's what? Lament. 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 These songs express sadness to God. A lament also complains to God or complains against God's enemies. That's the largest. Uh, there, there's more laments in the book of Psalms rather than, than praises. And then we have Thanksgiving Psalms, uh, which includes Thanksgiving from individuals as well as from the community. And then Wisdom Psalms, Psalms that focus on the theme of wisdom and or the fear of the Lord. By the way, did you see where Psalm 1 was? Where, what, what kind of psalm is Psalm 1? It's wisdom. Those on the front row can see. It's, it's wisdom psalm, okay? There's actually also a chiastic structure of the psalm, but I don't want to get into uh, that too much with you. So hymns, general songs, hymns, psalms of lament or complaint psalms, royal psalms. That refers to uh, songs uh, performed in the presence of kings or, or dignitaries. And then thanksgiving and wisdom psalms. So a basic overview of the book of, uh, or rather the Psalm 1, it compares and contrasts the godly and the wicked and notes the eventual end of each. So that's a one-sentence summary of, the, uh, of Psalm 1, okay? It compares and contrasts the godly and the wicked and notes the eventual end of each. So having a, an overview... Let's go right to the psalm itself. Amen? Would you like to stand in the presence of the Lord? Would you like to stand in the presence? I mean, you don't have to. Hear the word of the Lord, beloved. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like a chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, as we go to your word, we thank you for your presence. Oh, God, help me to speak and uh, preach in a way that is glorifying to you, that will build up your people, Lord. Build them up, bring healing and direction as you see fit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your conviction and dispense the word as you see fit according to each individual need and the need of us as your people collectively, Lord. And we give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Are you living the blessed life? Are you living a happy life? Well, let's see. Question number one. Are you avoiding the worldview of the wicked? Are you avoiding the worldview of the wicked? This is, I'm pulling this from verse one. And there are two Hebrew words that are translated blessed in our English Bibles. One of those Hebrew words speaks uh, more of being empowered or favored by the Lord. And the other Hebrew word stresses a state of happiness. And it's the second Hebrew word that is used here. In other words, when it says how blessed, it is that word stresses a state of happiness. Okay? Now think about that for just a second before we go any further. This one psalm holds the key to a happy life. We're at the we're at the very beginning of the book of Psalms. How many Psalms? 150. What's on the front in the very first verse of the book of Psalms? How blessed. This is the way to happiness. This is it. How blessed is the man. And in, in one sense, the two words might overlap in that the one who is blessed by God may respond by being happy, right? So we don't have to do a, a play a, a exegetical ping pong here. But I just serve to highlight that word blessed here. It stresses a state of happiness. And beloved, this world needs some happiness. Can I get an amen? Oh, my word. Lost people are not happy. Let me just tell you that. They may look like it on the front, on the surface. No, there is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. And the more they have, the more empty they are. That's not the way to happiness. What is the way to happiness? Well, verse 1, how blessed is the man, right? Who does not, what, walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice the subtle increase of participation with evil, right? Walk, stand, sit. I don't think most people start out in their life thinking, you know, I want to go to hell. It doesn't work like that. Or can you imagine on the wedding day, right, the cute couple are looking at each other and one of them's thinking, you know, I'm going to commit adultery one day. Doesn't work like that, does it? No, no. It's always small. It's always subtle. But it is definitely always growing if there's not repentance. The verbs counsel, weigh, and seat draw attention to the realms of thinking behaving and belonging in which a person's fundamental choice of allegiance is made and carried through. It's about the, the thought life, right? It's about how we live, our behaving and our belonging. The three complete phrases show three aspects, indeed three degrees of departure from God. All three are bad, right? All three are bad. And it culminates in the most fatal of attitudes and that is scoffing, the scoffers if not the most scandalous of sinners, are the farthest from repentance. Listen to Proverbs 3.34. Though he scoffs, speaking of God, though God scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. So it culminates in a scoffer. That's the, the worst kind of person to be in the Bible. So it's slow, isn't it? It's slow uh, or little. Um, it's very subtle, this, this thinking that we can get into the worldview of the wicked. The first 300 educational institutions 
were founded in this country for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you all know that? To train and educate pastors. Think Harvard. Why was Harvard begun? To train pastors to spread the gospel. Think Princeton. Think Yale. All the Ivy Leagues. Why were they first begun in this country? For the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at them now, beloved. Right? They're not bastions of evangelical conservatism. Amen? Absolutely not. Institutions always drift to the left, never to the right. And what is true of institutions can also be true of churches. Of churches. And what's true of churches can also be true of marriages. And what also can be true of marriages, the same with families and individuals. Beloved, are you avoiding having the worldview of the wicked in your personal life, in your, uh, at work, dare I say, politics, right? How is the gospel being enfleshed in our lives? And how are we to avoid this spiritual warfare in culture, in politics, in work, in our theology, in our belief system that wants to push Christians to the progressive left and adopt anti-Christ and anti-God views. How are we going to avoid that? If it happened to Yale, if it happened at Princeton, how are we as a church, how are you as an individual going to say no to and not fall in what will inevitably happen unless verse 2 is occurring in your life and mine? Here's the fix. Here's the fix. Question number two. Are you consistently meditating on God's word? There it is. Oh boy. I mentioned conviction earlier. Oh boy, this is convicting to me. How about you? Are you consistently meditating on God's word? Verse 2 says as much, but his delight is in, what is it? The law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Uh, I have several commentaries and resources uh, related to Psalms, and I have a favorite by a, a doctor named uh, Trimper Longman. Now, that's a, that's a scholar's name, Trimper Longman. Actually, it's the third, Trimper, <laughs> Trimper Longman the third, and it's published by InterVarsity Press. And to my amazement, he has zero to say about the psalmist meditating in verse two. <laughs> he says, that much about meditation in verse 2. I couldn't believe that. I could not believe that. He just skips this part of the psalm and moves on to verse 3. So I want to highlight where he, where he has no light. Can I say it that way? I want to highlight where he has no light. First of all, there's a difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. Okay? So don't have in your head meditation like where you sit down in the lotus position and you're sucking on a lemon as you watch the sun go down at the beach. You empty your mind and you say, um, okay, that, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what the psalmist is doing in verse 2, okay? Eastern meditation says empty your mind. Biblical meditation says fill your mind with what? God's word. God's word. In God's law, he meditates. This word meditates is Hagah. Would you like to say Hagah? It literally means to coo. It means to make a soft muttering sound. It means to mutter or to groan. 
growl, even, even growl in some contexts. To read in an undertone. It's used 25 times in 24 verses in the Old Testament. For example, I'll pull one out that you might be uh, familiar with. Joshua 1.8, the Lord says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall hagah, meditate. Same word, verse 2, Psalm 1. You shall meditate on it day and night so that your parents will be happy and you can check the box with your Sunday school teacher. Right? Good boy, good, no. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And this is really practical because who is the captain of the Lord of hosts speaking to in Joshua 1.8? Joshua, who's the leader, and he's about to go out to what? War. War. Like physical war. And here he is saying, meditate on it day and night so that you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Beloved, are you consistently meditating on God's word. Here's another verse where Haggah is used, Isaiah 31, 4. For thus says the Lord to me, as the lion or the young lion growls, Haggah, <laughs> it's not meditate, the context. As the lion or the young lion growls, Haggah, over his prey, against which a band of shepherds is called out, and he will not be terrified at their voice nor disturbed at their noise, so will the Lord of hosts come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill. Amen. The most oldest ancient idea about God is he is a warrior. He is a warrior. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, the Bible says. Now, did you notice when happy, holy people meditate? It's in verse 2. They meditate on God's word when? Daytime. Daytime. They groan. They coo. They moan over. They mutter. They focus their minds on God's word in the daytime. Now, I don't think this means we all need to head to the hills and make a commune so we can all do this every minute of the day. Can I get an Amen. Now, that's happened in, in the life of the church during the, the, the monastic movement, right? They were living in the big, bad world, and they wanted to live holy, righteous lives, so they pulled away from the big, bad world so they could meditate it day and night, like literally day and night as they wash pans. The only problem with that is when you draw away from the big, bad world and you get in a holy huddle and meditate all day long, what's the problem with that? The problem is you take yourself with you. Can I get an amen? Right? My biggest problem is me. Can I get an amen? Monica's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Your biggest problem is you, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's three-layered. We're always, we're always up against it. Always up against it. Most of the damage done to the church has been by people with good motives, right? How can you make disciples in a cave? <laughs> Go and make disciples of the world. Can't do that when you're huddled in a monastery or a cave, right? So this isn't saying, I don't think, we should meditate all day and don't focus your mind on things at work, right? Because if we did that, you wouldn't get any work done, wouldn't get paid, you wouldn't be providing for yourself or your family or, right, or this church. 
However, let's think of it a, a couple ways. Are there times during the workday where you can focus your mind on God's word? Are there times during the workday where you can focus your mind on God's word? Maybe it's just a brief 30-minute lunch, hour lunch. Are there times either before work and after work that is still daytime in which we can focus our minds on other things when we could be focusing on God's word? Right? Are there some spots? What are some things that we do instead of meditating on God's word? Shall I apply this or just kind of move move on? Do I dare to apply this? Oh yeah, let's go. You ready? Here are some things that we do instead of meditating on God's word. TV, TV, right? Netflix, Hallmark Channel, How about YouTube? YouTube, what is your favorite YouTube channel? Are you listening to that more than meditating on God's word? Social media, how many of you have an Instagram account? Raise your hand. Okay, really? That's a lot of you. Uh, let's see, what's, what's the other, um, where is it? Snapchat, how many of you have a Snapchat account? Raise your hand, a little bit less. Facebook account, okay. Interesting. Uh, how about Twitter? How many of you have a Twitter account? Not so much. Wow, interesting. I thought there'd be more than that. Not so much. Are we on social media more than we're on with Jesus during the day? Boy, it's getting really quiet in here for some reason. How about video games? Right? Video games. The Legend of Zelda. I have no idea what that game is. I had to look these up. Super Mario Galaxy 2, right? Okay, I'm connecting with some. (laughs) Grand Theft Auto, I heard that's really bad. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, these are the top five. I Googled it real quick. Halo. Nobody's playing video games in here? What's that one where we... I'm sorry, was there a confession? <laughs> Would you like to repeat that before the church family? What'd you say? We're all righteous, oh, <laughs> <laughs> We're all righteous for those of you online. <laughs> man, this is a godly group, man. Wow. Dating. Is your girlfriend or boyfriend getting more FaceTime than Jesus? Dating. Now we're getting really personal, right? Uh, What about news? Oh, this is so convicting. News. How long do we spend looking at the news during the daytime in comparison to meditating on God's word? (laughs) Maybe this is why we're not as happy as we could be in Jesus, right? How about this? Too much community involvement I said it too much community involvement dare I say too many Bible studies and not meditating on God's word you're sitting in one Bible study after another check next 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 maybe you're going to too many community groups and home groups 
but you're not meditating on God's word. You're just sitting in a Bible study. In fact, that would be a great thing for both community group leaders and home group facilitators to do maybe this week. Cancel your lesson, right? Or the, the group's questions. Take Psalm 1 and have the group memorize it within 45 minutes. Just say, hey, here we are as a group. We're going to sit. I mean, how many verses, beloved? One, two, three, four, five, six verses, 45 minutes. And then the, the next 15 minutes is, okay, each person, try to say it by memory. It's safe. It's safe. We love one another, right? If everyone complains, then tell them to memorize it for the week, and that's going to be the first thing that you do for the next meeting. Once everyone has it memorized, you go on to the next lesson, right? Why? It's, this, this is tied to the Lord's Supper. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. There's something that sin does to the mind. And when you meditate, notice, that's different from reading, and it's different actually from memorizing. It's meditating. And what's cool is when you try to memorize, you end up meditating. Really cool. You saturate your spirit on the word of God. This is the way to happiness according to Psalm 1. This, listen, this, according to the word of God in Psalm 1, this is the one way to a blessed life, to a happy life. Oh, beloved, not in a legalistic way, in a very real way. Are you consistently meditating on God's word? I'm fighting for your happiness. I'm fighting for your happiness. I mean, get it into the minds of your little ones, right? I mean, bribe them if you have to until they're Christians, amen. I will give you ice cream if you memorize Psalm 1 or whatever kind of blessing. Mess their little minds up. Say something like this, you know what? If you memorize Psalm 1 by, by heart, the next time you need a spanking, I won't give you one. Yeah, do that. Mess them up real good. Yeah, and maybe they might be thinking, oh, memorizing the word of God helped me to avoid getting spanked. That's not a bad lesson to learn as a little one, amen. Get it in their heads. I like what C.S. Lewis said. A car is made to run on petrol. He's a Brit, gas, right? And it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits. We were designed to burn. Or the food of our spirits, we were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. Right? Relationship with God. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. Isn't that good? There is no such thing. Amen. Amen. Meditate on God's word. Happy, holy people also meditate, not just during the daytime, but also according to verse 2. What? Meditates day and night. So what keeps us at nighttime from meditating on God's word well the things we've already basically reviewed <laughs> right TV internet 
video games, music, hobbies, whatever. Now note the connection between the two, beloved. Note this is the one, this is the one distinguishing difference between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 2. That's it, according to Psalm 1. This is the one distinguishing factor between the righteous and the wicked. They're meditating on God's word. The righteous are. All right, let's go to question number three. Are you experiencing human flourishing the way God intended? Are you experiencing human flourishing the way God intended? Pick up with me in verse three. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Oh, I love this phrase. And its leaf does not wither. Man, I'm telling you, sometimes I feel like my leaf is withering. How about you? And then I think to myself, well, why is that? Oh, meditating, being in God's word. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. Notice the contrast. Planted tree, right? Chaff. The wicked are like chaff, which the wind drives away. I mentioned to you there's a chiastic. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of a little bit off, but there is a chiastic structure in the psalm, and three and four is the X marks the spot. So from a literary perspective, you could argue three and four are the very heart of the psalm. Where in the Old Testament story is a tree a big deal? Genesis, right? Tree. You can have all the trees, enjoy the trees, God says, but don't take from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to know what is good apart from God's word. They wanted to be wise and they were trying to be wise in their own eyes. Right? This is a wisdom psalm. And you have a tree that has fruit. God says, don't take that knowledge for yourself. Essentially, God wants us to be dependent upon him and his word for deciding what is right and what is wrong. They wanted to know what was bad apart from God's word, or they wanted to know what was good apart from being dependent upon God. And ironically, what knowledge did they gain immediately after they ate? They were grasping for design status. They partook, and what knowledge did they actually gain? More so of their creatureliness. Uh-oh, we're naked. Right? They reached for divine status. They wanted to be like God or the gods. But instead of that, they only increased in their knowledge of their earthly status. And in doing so, here we go. Here comes the flood of what? Shame. Shame is the, resp uh, the consequence. And fear flooded into their hearts and into the world. And this is the beginning of the clothing industry. This is why we have fruit of the loom. Can I get an amen? Right? Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. And in the ironic ways of God, they make themselves look like a tree, right? They take fig leaves 
and they're almost dressing as if like they're trees. They clothe themselves with fig leaves. I see in that we become what we worship. It's the irony of idolatry. We become what we worship. You will become like the God you worship, inevitably. But here we have the blessed life, the happy life, meditating day and night in God's word. And this is how we flourish as humans. Human flourishing can occur in the marriage as long as the husband and the wife are fulfilling their roles as God has ordained them to be, right? We want human flourishing in the home. The husband is to sacrificially love their wives as Christ loved the church. If not, what's gonna happen? The husband will be controlling and use his wife. Conversely, the wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord, as if Christ is present in the husband. And if not, what? The wife will rebel and seek to control her husband. And God said as much in the garden, right? This is as old as Genesis 3. The enemy is not playing any other game, okay? This is it. Are you experiencing human flourishing the way God intended? If you're not, according to this psalm, beloved, there is a very practical reason. <laughs> you may be buying the worldview of the wicked and, you, and perhaps you have neglected meditating on God's word. And that leads us to number four. I, I, want, I want to experience everything that Christ died for for me to have how about you don't you want that right he died on the cross so he that he might make straight in our lives that which we make crooked and it is his will for us to flourish as humans that's why this whole gender stuff and human sexuality and homosexuality it is so anti-christ so anti-god it does not lead to human flourishing, okay? It's because we're not seeing the way God has ordained uh, order. Man, I'm telling you, there's the spirit of the ages is raging against authority. Have you noticed that? You know, and, and it's seeping into the church, too. It's seeping into evangelicalism. These, these pop-up words, patriarchy, Right? It doesn't lead to human flourishing, beloved. Jesus Christ said, I have come that they may have life and have it really dull and boring. Is that what he said? Man, the average face of people in churches today, it's like, <laughs> if that's what Christianity produces, that kind of face, forget that. You look miserable and you're on your way to heaven? Tell your face, man. You know? And when I say that, I'm not, I'm not against the times that we bleed and we cry and we weep. Amen. We need to do that together as well. But there should be a sense in our spirit as Christians, a sense of happiness and joy. Amen. Even in, in pain and tears and brokenness and loss and struggling with depression, there should be a sense of joy, even in sorrow. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. When does that start? After you die and go to heaven? That's now. That's now. Very practical. Saturate your spirit. Meditate day and night. 
say bye-bye, Legends of Zelda. More God's word, amen. Bye-bye, CNN. By the way, a lot of people are saying bye-bye to CNN, by the way. Did you know that? It's no longer the case that all, all the conservatives watch Fox News. Uh, wrong, not the case anymore. They're all flocking from CNN. They, the Democrats are watching Fox News. It's, it's, it's wonderful to watch. CNN viewership crash and burn. How did I get off on that? Where was I going? <laughs> Human flourishing. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Yeah, say goodbye to the things that steal time in God's word. Amen, that's where I was headed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Like the news, like all this stuff. Amen. Okay, human flourishing. By the way, can I just say this as lead pastor? I want every member of this church family to flourish. To flourish. Amen. Number four. How are we doing on time? We make it out early. Number four, will you stand in the judgment? Man, each of these points are like a message in themselves. It's so rich. Will you stand in the judgment? Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. By the way, notice in verse one, right, uh, who doesn't stand in the path of sinners? Verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. I mentioned at the table of our Lord the three foundational questions of life that we all must answer. And your mom and your dad can't answer it for you. You must answer this for yourself. Number one, who am I? Your identity. Number two, why am I here? It's your meaning or purpose. Number three, where am I going? It's your destiny. All of us have to answer this for ourselves. Your mom and your dad can't answer it for you. Why am, uh, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Identity, purpose, destiny. Now, as it relates to Psalm 1, verse 5 has to do with your destiny. Your destiny, the end. Will you stand in the judgment? Will you stand in the judgment? It's a heavy question. Ask most people if they think they will go to heaven when they die, and what do they say? Absolutely. They'll usually say yes, right? But if you follow up with this question, why do you think so? Their answer is usually based on comparative morality. Comparative morality. And we sinners are real good at us coming out on top, right? I haven't killed anybody. I'm a Republican. I'm, I'm a Texan. All right? I'm going to heaven. No. No. God tells us, according to his word, there is no one good, no one righteous, no, not one. God says to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64, 6, quote, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us have become as one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are, as, uh, are like a filthy garment. Don't look up that word filthy in the Hebrew language. It's a reference to a used minstrel cloth. And that is the righteous things that we do before a three times holy God. 
Very convicting. If our righteousness is like a used tampon before God, how is anybody going to stand in the judgment? You better have another kind of righteousness. You and I better get a new kind of clothing. This is why Jesus Christ had to come and die on a Roman cross and shed his blood. In the mind of God, in the economy of God, in his universe, it had to happen. And there are people bugging out of the church because they don't know the answer. Why this way? Why did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to come and die for the sins of his people in order for God to forgive them? Why did God just wave his mighty right hand and forgive Adam and Eve when they sinned? Why the blood? Why the dying? Here's the answer. Because God is good and God is just. What? The wages of sin is a free pass? No. Sinning against the holy God is no small infraction. The more you water down sin, the more you water down God's holiness. God is good. God is just. And he's also merciful. He is loving. And these attributes of God intersect on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me, beloved. Think of it. How is it right and just for God to allow sinners into his holy presence. How is that right and good? How can God be right in letting us sinners into his holy heaven or to be able to stand in the judgment? It is right and just because his son paid our penalty. That's why. He's a just God, and that's on the cross. But not only did he pay our penalty by his death, we also get his righteousness. We get new clothing. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We give God our filthy clothing, and God gives us his holiness. We get clothed with the righteousness of God. Amen. That's how anybody will stand in the judgment. That's the only way anybody can stand in the judgment. Clothed in the holy, righteous garments of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why there's a church up in here. This is how anyone can stand before God and his divine counsel, before the seven angels that are in front of his throne, the four living creatures, the seraphim and the cherubim round about, the 24 thrones round about God's throne. Oh, yeah, I love how God is so pleased to show us what it's like in the presence of God with these created spiritual beings whose presence only highlight the king's presence. So much of my Christian walk in my mind's eye in, in like praying to God, it's like God and he's invisible and there's a fog machine going about three or four feet and that's what's in my mind's eye. And blessed be the name of the Lord. He's been good to reveal in his word what it's going to be like, what it's going to look like to stand in the judgment. Woo. Are you ready? Are you ready? Standing before God is like standing in front of a lightning storm. That's what you see in the book of Revelation. 
That's where you see in several depictions in the Old Testament, the theophanies, the, the manifestations of God, often it's described as a thunderstorm, a thunderstorm. That was the most powerful thing known to man until the nuclear bomb was invented. So in modern terms, we could say that standing before God is like standing at ground zero as a nuclear bomb explodes. You're gonna stand that? Explosion of his holiness? How is anyone gonna stand that? Be clothed in Jesus Christ. Be clothed in Jesus Christ, amen. Have you ever heard of Luke 12, eight and nine, where Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before man, men, the son of man will confess him also before the angels of God. It doesn't say before the father, that's in the other passage. But he, verse nine, who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You see what's happening? He's talking about the judgment. He's talking about the judgment. How is anyone going to stand in the judgment? Clothed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not afraid. He is not ashamed, rather, to call us brothers and sisters. Amen. So picture in your mind's eye the divine counsel and the God on the throne and Jesus Christ. And now it's your turn to stand. Call your name. Come. Your turn to stand before God. And if you're in Christ, if you're clothed with his righteousness, Jesus Christ will not be ashamed to confess you before the throne of the Father. Amen. As the angels are round about. Isn't that beautiful? But if we do not confess Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will not confess you before the Father. You will not stand in the judgment. The doxology of Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Listen, blameless with great joy with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen amen oh beloved will you stand in the judgment you will if you're in Jesus Christ and conversely you have no standing before God if you're an unbeliever so we would urge you by the mercy and grace of God Repent of your sin and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't clean up your life and then come to God. You can't do it. You're the problem. Amen. You come to God in brokenness, in humility. You come saying, I have nothing but filthy righteousness before you. Would you forgive me? Be my Lord and Savior. All that I am and all that I have is yours. And Jesus Christ says to that person who gets there by God's grace, have the whole kingdom, son. Have the whole kingdom. Blessed is he who is poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see that? Finally, number five. Are you known by the Lord? This is really a summary, isn't it? Are you known by the Lord? Verse six, for the Lord knows he knows the way of the righteous 
but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. What a beautiful shepherd. He knows what's going on in your life right now, beloved. That stuff that you went through this past week, that stuff that has not been resolved and it's heavy on your heart and mind, the Lord knows. The thing you grieve over, the things that bring a weight to your soul, and you, the Lord knows. The Lord knows your way. Jesus Christ said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, beloved, be known by the Lord. Be known by the Lord. One of my favorite illustrations is on his first day of teaching his class of 250 college freshmen. You guys remember R.C. Sproul, right? First day teaching 250 college freshmen. He carefully explained the assignment of the three term papers due on the last day of September, October, and November. And he clearly stated there would be no extensions except for medical reasons. That's usually on the syllabus, right? At the end of September, 225 students turned in their papers, and then they had 25 who were remorseful, and they said, in fear, we're so sorry. We didn't take the proper adjustments from high school to college, but we promised to do better next time. And he was gracious. He bowed to their pleas for mercy and gave them an extension, but warned them, hey, next time, don't be late, don't be late. Now comes the end of October. About 200 students turned in their papers, and now not 25, but 50. 50 students showed up empty-handed. They said, oh, please, it was homecoming weekend, and we ran out of time. Sproul was gracious again, but he warned them, this is it. No excuses next time. You will get an F. End of November comes, only 100 students turn in their papers, and the rest told Dr. Sproul, we'll get it in soon. And professor said, sorry, it's too late now. You get an F. The students howled in protest. That's not fair. Okay, the professor said, you want justice, do you? Here's what's just, you'll get an F for all three papers that were late. That was the rule, right? Later, Sproul reflected. He said, the students had quickly taken my mercy for granted. They assumed it. When justice suddenly fell, they were unprepared for it. It came as a shock, and they were outraged. I think that's just a little bit about what's going to happen on the great day. Do not take the grace and mercy of God lightly beloved saturate your spirit on the word of God meditate day and night kick Zelda off the screen get FaceTime with Jesus amen or Fox News or Tucker or whatever right get rid of those things that has been stealing time from you meditating on God's word why because it leads to happiness amen amen and it might be that the people of the world start noticing, hey, what are you so happy about, dude? We got another variant of COVID on the way. 
we got this sorry corporate policy coming down, and it's stupid, but you're happy, right? This can bleed over into evangelism, winning people to Jesus. It comes from happy. Listen, holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. Amen. Amen. Let's be holy. Let's be happy. Pray with me. So where has the Lord touched your heart? I encourage you to respond in kind. Just take a few moments in prayer. Is there a particular sin that he's kind of pressed in on? That's a grace of God. Confess it. Confess it to the Lord. Maybe husband and wife can, after this message, get together and say, hey, how can we, how can we do better meditating on God's word? How can we encourage one another to do that together? What's a good way to help your children meditate on God's word? Let's start out this week. Father, thank you for your word. Continue to press us into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Pastor John, do we have any questions? You want want me to look it up? Do you already have it? Okay. Could the counsel of the wicked apply to watching much of the news outlets these days? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of worldliness, uh, no doubt, through the news outlets. That was the only question. Thank you for coming. God bless you. That's it. Pastor John, you want to come and do announcements? Thank you, brother. All right. I do want to stress the men's retreat, right, Pastor Mark? Get that taken care of. Please go uh, online and register. So make sure you take care of that. It's coming up in a couple weeks, February 18th and 19th. It's going to be a great time with Dr. Zimmerman. And so uh, just going to be a little bit different format. So please join us. Uh, We leave around Friday afternoon, and then uh, we're back on Saturday afternoon. So it's not a real long time, so come and join us. Do the registration, pay online. Church Family Forum is going to be at the end of the month. They also have an opportunity for membership for those who are interested in doing that at 9 o'clock. You see the Wednesday 